2: Storm Clouds. That autumn, we were at the Vim Studios on Riverside, working on a nicely deranged little flick called Lifesavers. We'd all noticed, and you could hardly miss it, that Ray was a real wow in a bathing suit, and so we devised an underwater adventure for Plump and Runt that would feature plenty of shots of her swimming. There was a surreal underwater sequence in which we were trying to rescue her, and in order to communicate, we would write messages to one another and tie them onto passing fish. In the midst of shooting this, pretending to walk along the seabed past a variety of stuffed fish hanging from thin lines, Babe and I became aware of a little commotion. A small party of smartly suited dignitaries had arrived, escorted by Lou Burstein, and prominent amongst them was the white three-piece and Panama hat combination that formed the trademark of Jacksonville's mayor, Mr J.E.T. Bowden. When this worthy realised that he'd brought work to a standstill, he waved genially and said... "'Don't mind me, boys, just showing you off to my distinguished guest.' He beckoned to me and Babe to join him, and then turned to the smart chap beside him, who was casting an eye over the facilities. "'Mr. Plump and Mr. Runt, the pride of Jacksonville, meet Mr. Sidney Chaplin,' the mayor said. "'A pleasure, sir, a pleasure,' Babe beamed, grasping Sid by the hand. I froze like a rabbit faced with a cobra. Sid offered his hand to me, and I took it slowly, feeling rather like a condemned man.' And I'm very pleased to meet you both, Sid said, looking me full in the face but showing not a hint of recognition. The mayor began to hold forth then, and Sid moved away. I let out a long, slow breath. Was it possible that he hadn't recognised me? Sometimes when you see someone you know in an unexpected context, the cogs don't quite click at once, do they? Or maybe he was simply a much better actor than I give him credit for. I should say, just to make sure we're all on the same page that I knew Sid Chaplin all too well. He was a number one for Carno when Charlie and I started out. Indeed, he'd lobbied the Governor hard to give his younger brother, half-brother, actually, a chance. And when Charlie had resorted to dirty tricks to get ahead of me, Sid had been an all-too-willing co-conspirator. The last I'd heard, from Charlie himself, was that Sid was managing his business affairs for him, having struck out in his attempts to make comedy films of his own for Mac Sennett at Keystone. Vim Studios is just one of the many filmmaking facilities we have here in Jacksonville, the mayor was saying, and Mr. Richard Garrick, the well-respected local entrepreneur, is proposing to start work on a brand new studio complex on the site of the old Union Station that will be able to meet the needs of as many as 25 production companies of all shapes and sizes. Interesting, Sid said, nodding thoughtfully. Very interesting. That's exactly the sort of thing we'd need. The mayor beamed with satisfaction. "'Perhaps, Mr. Burstein, in the meantime, you would be so kind as to show Mr. Chaplin around your mighty fine facility.' Uh, "'This way, Sid,' Burstein said gruffly, not being particularly endowed with the mayor's brand of southern hospitality, and he and Sid moved off. "'It's the election I'm thinking of, you see,' Bowden confided in us when we were alone. "'I'm up for reconsideration in the new year, and my opponent, Mr. John Martin, is standing on an anti-movie ticket.' "'I swear to God that is the man's only policy, "'to kick you movie folks out of jacks once and for all. "'He knows that I have set myself the target "'of making Jacksonville the movie capital of the world, "'and there are plenty here that stands squarely behind me on that.' "'Yes, indeed,' Babe said heartily, and I nodded my support. "'But you see, for every sweet soul that loves the movies, "'there's another who harbours some petty resentment or other. "'Maybe some actor's crashed a car into his garden, "'or he fears the town will turn into Sodom or Gomorrah. "'So the fact is I could be run mighty close if I'm not careful. "'Now, as luck would have it, "'the City Council of Los Angeles are proposing a new ordinance "'that would ban filmmaking in residential areas, "'which could just be the end of poor old Hollywood. "'Yes, sir.' "'Really?' Babe said. "'Why, that's extraordinary.' So all the companies currently operating in California could just be tempted to up sticks and join our little community right here, including, when the mayor jerked a thumb at the back of Sid Chaplin, and if I can persuade Mr. Charlie Chaplin to hang out his shingle in our fair burg, well, I reckon it might just clinch the election for me, yes, sir, I reckon as how it might. Coo, Ray said, pulling a towel around her shoulders. Charlie Chaplin coming to Jack's, how's about that?' Bowden was so pleased with this notion that he couldn't help himself. He did a little jig of glee. Yes, my dear, Charlie is my ace in the hole. The prospect of the Chaplin brothers turning up on our doorstep did not exactly fill me with good cheer, and I began to wonder whether it might even spell the end of my time in Florida. I could hardly continue to live there under an assumed name with those two around, even if Sid had shown no sign of having recognised me just then... And continuing to work in the flickers would just be asking for trouble, as it was a small world where everyone knew everyone else's business. What could I do, though? Where can I go? The thought of being forced to walk away from such a good thing gave me a pain in my stomach. But several months had passed since that horrible business at Dodge, and so at least I thought the heat was off from that quarter. The very next week we were making a story called Never Again, in which Plump and Runt are courting two sisters, played by Ray and Arlene, and their stuck-up father decides to take them to Spain to separate them from the two undesirables. The boys give chase, and make a heart-stopping leap onto the steamer as it leaves the dock, but before that, they rush into the ticket office to try and book their passage. It was only a quick scene, so we used the booking clerk's actual premises, with Bert Tracy as the official. We rushed in, gesticulated our urgent request, he thrust the tickets into our hands, and out we went again. The work of a few minutes only. When the camera stopped rolling, Bert was doubled up laughing at something or other, and the rest of us strolled back in to see what had tickled him so. He pointed at a poster on the wall behind him. "'Look!' he cried. "'It's Runt!' I looked where he was pointing, and my heart stopped. There was a picture of me, plain as day, under the bold legend, "'Wanted!' and details in smaller print of the shootout in Dodge. "'Hey, Smithy!' Ray said, peering closely at the grainy photo which I guessed had been snipped from an old Karner review. It's you. For a panicky moment, my life flashed before my very eyes. Was my secret out? Was I finished here in Jacksonville? Bert Tracy came out from behind the reception desk, tears streaming down his cheeks. Great gag, mate, he said, tapping me on the shoulder. Great gag. Ray skipped over and kissed me on the cheek. Didn't really fool me, she whispered. Nothing like handsome enough. Miraculously, everyone simply concluded that I'd mocked the poster up and stuck it there myself, just to see if anyone would spot it, and my stock as a prankster went through the roof. My pulse did too, though, and it was a good couple of hours before I was anything like calm again. It seemed then that I was still a wanted desperado. I was still reeling from this body blow when Louis Burstein gathered us down at Vim for a company announcement. "'Great news, gang,' he said, standing on his desk so everyone could see him. "'The Thursday Vim and the Friday Vim are both going down gangbusters, "'and I'm getting asked for more and more product. "'We're going to be expanding into a couple of new series.' Burstein raised his hands to quell a murmuring of disquiet. "'Still doing pokes and jabs, still doing plump and runts. "'Don't worry about that. "'No one's killing any golden gooses around here.' but I'm delighted to say that Miss Kate Price has joined us direct from Keystone, and she is going to partner Babe in some Mr and Mrs Plumps, so give her a big welcome. Kate Price was a well-upholstered comedienne whom we'd all seen playing opposite Fatty Arbuckle, and in fairness this did seem to be something of a coup for Vim. She emerged from Burstein's office, where she'd been waiting, and waved shyly as her new colleagues applauded. I was just wondering whether this meant that old Runt would be shunted to the sidelines as a result, when Burstein went on. Now, you all know that Charlie Chaplin has only made half a dozen flickers this year, but the marketplace would be happy to see many more. So I intend to launch a new series of films to fill that gap, stories in that style, with a lead character who is as similar as we can make him to the Chaplin Tramp. And who better to play this role for us than someone who grew up with Chaplin in the Fred Carno Comedy Company. Uh "'Uh-oh,' I thought. "'Someone with the same grounding in pantomime "'and possessing the self-same bag of tricks "'that Chaplin himself learned in Music Hall and Vaudeville. "'My stomach was turning cartwheels now. "'Someone, moreover, who can claim to have been "'the originator of the famous walk and the famous costume "'that Chaplin has made beloved around the world.' My mind flashed back to my own invention of the stowaway, and I remembered Charlie hunched on the prow of one of our transatlantic boats, watching me, with his violet eyes narrowed, taking in every nuance, every step, not laughing himself, but noting how everyone else was cracking up. And as if that wasn't enough, someone who has himself lived the life of a tramp for a time, Burstein went on. I caught Babe glancing over at me, remembering, no doubt, my story when we'd first met. What did this mean? Was my secret out? My real identity known? So, please put your hands together, Burstein was saying, and I felt myself clenching, bracing for impact, for Mr. Billy Ritchie. There, large as life, which was never all that large, was my old carno-mate, the wiry and, it has to be said, embittered little Scotsman, striding out of Burstein's office, waving, beaming, glad-handing. Burstein steered him over to meet the Pokes and Jabs crew first of all as the meeting broke up. I tried to keep my head down, hoping to corner him for a quiet word in private later, but as soon as he could, Ritchie made a bee line for me. "'Arthur!' he cried out, bouncing over. "'Smith!' I said quickly, as we shook hands. "'Arthur Smith!' "'Arthur Smith!' "'Aye, right enough!' Ritchie said, his eyes flicking beadily from side to side as he cottoned on. "'I thought that was you!' Hey, this is a bit of all right, isn't it? It's just like the old fun factory. It is that, I said, steering him out onto the lot by the elbow away from bothersome ears. So you're going to make some Chaplin-style comedies, is that it? I said as we strolled. And why not, eh? After all, young Chaplin's not done too bad for himself, has he? And we all know where he got that act from, do we not? I nodded. He got it from me, Richie and I cried, both at the same time. Ah, Ritchie laughed, punching me on the arm. "'You knew what I was going to say. "'All right, all right, I do go on about it, but only because it's true. "'I did the Carno drunk before him and invented all the things he used to make his name.' "'I decided not to argue the point, but there'd been Carnot drunks before Ritchie "'and there'd been Carno drunks after Chaplin, and they all drew from the same gag book. "'But tell me this,' Ritchie said, giving me a narrow-eyed look. "'What news of my old friend Dandle?' I glanced around to be sure no one was within earshot, and in point of fact, some loud hammering had begun on a new set, and we were hard pushed to even hear ourselves, as I brought him up to date on my adventure in Dodge, the demise of Edgar Hurley, and the reason for my alias. Christ! Richie's eyes popped out on Storks. Well, your secret's safe with me, lad, don't you worry. I always thought Ed Hurley was a piece of work, and maybe now you and I can do a bit of work together, eh? That is, if you can bear to see me dressed up like Chaplin without putting a bullet in me, eh? I must admit, it was good to have Billy Ritchie around. He fitted in fine with the Vimites and featured in a few Thursday and Friday Vims while he learned the ropes, ready for his first outing as a chaplain-esque lead. He and I talked about the war late into the night. The news reports we'd read spoke of unbelievable slaughter at the Battle of the Somme, thousands mown down by machine guns on either side, and it was hard not to feel guilty being safe here in the Florida sun while so many of my countrymen were being obliged to make the ultimate sacrifice. Ritchie's advice, though, was always the same. "'Set it out, man. Just set it out. Can it go on forever?' He told me there were dozens of British music hall stars over in America who'd been doing just that since 1914. It was even less appealing to think of returning, now that there was conscription at home and the war was pretty much unavoidable. So I would continue to set it out with Billy Ritchie. However, sometimes it did feel as though it just might go on forever.' especially when the progress of the war was measured not in miles, but in unimaginable piles of corpses. Finally then, after weeks of uncertainty and bafflement, a letter arrived from her, from Tilly. I opened it carefully, stealing myself. "'My dearest,' Tilly began, which was almost enough to finish me off right then and there. "'Imagine my joy at hearing that you were alive and well and living in Florida,' The day I heard the news that the Lusitania had foundered was the worst of my life, and I was lost to grief for a long while. Sadly, at this time, I was scarcely alone in that. Let me assure you at once that Wallace and I are both in the rudest of health, and he is stronger and more confident every day. Arthur, however did we come to such an extraordinary misunderstanding? I've thought about this a lot, and I suppose that I must take some of the responsibility. Your thrilling cable telling me that you would be on the Lusitania arrived at my family's home in Great Yarmouth just as we were making preparations for another move. I wrote a letter telling you of this, and our new address, which would have been waiting for you at Liverpool so that you could have made your way to join us, but of course you never received that, did you, just as I never received anything you might have subsequently sent to Great Yarmouth, which we left under something of a cloud. My father's exoneration in respect of the pier fire apparently didn't satisfy everyone of his suitability as a children's entertainer, and life was becoming intolerable there. We resolved to move up to Skegness, which we'd heard was quite the coming resort. You will remember, I'm sure, that poster with the jolly boatman we used to see in railway stations everywhere. Now, though, it seems that the railways have been reassigned for troop movement, and this has put paid to the large numbers of day-trippers who might have made my father's travails as a punch-and-duty man sustainable. The town has become a billet for the Lovett Highlanders, who are engaged in the business of fortifying the Lincolnshire coast against invasion. One of these, a Sergeant Ian McTavish, was good enough to use one of his travel warrants to take me and Wallace on our trip to Cambridge where I met your charming parents and received the wonderful news that you were alive. Yes, good old Sergeant Ian McTavish, I thought. As for my own contribution to the war effort, I have joined the nursing staff of a convalescent home here in Norfolk for soldiers returning from France, many of them, I'm sorry to say, with severe and disabling injuries, limbs missing or scared quite out of their wits. When I tell them I know Charlie Chaplin, it brightens their lives. I'm forever being asked about Charlie. I'm afraid I often tell the lads that he and I were sweethearts, because they get a thrill out of that, and God knows they deserve one. It is not, as you know, altogether true, but it is not an outright lie either, so I trust I am forgiven. I found I was grinding my teeth as I read, but I was grinding them in a forgiving way, I thought. There was actually one lad who was far more thrilled to discover that I knew you, as it happens. Evidently you were kind to him in Chicago, and he seemed to regard you as a kind of comedy mentor. Short, pale, wispy fair hair. I think his name was either Donald or Daniel. I stopped reading and closed my eyes for a moment. Dan Rayner, I thought. It sounded like him. I hoped he was all right. If he was convalescing in Lincolnshire, at least he was out of the fighting for now, unless he got on the wrong side of a Lovett Highlander. As to the future, I'm sure you must have moved on with your life. America seems so far away now and so long ago. I'm truly happy that you are alive and safe. Think fondly of me as I do of you. All my love, Tilly. I sat and looked at the letter for a long while. What was I to make of it, I wondered. The way she signed off was so distant somehow. Affectionate enough, certainly, but not exactly encouraging me to drop everything and come and find her. It was almost as if she didn't even expect a reply. And what of this McTavish fellow? A friend? Or something more? I could hardly blame her if it was so, could I, since she'd believed me dead for a year and a half? Not to mention my own canoodling with Ray Godfrey. As I turned it over in my hands, I noticed that there was something more enclosed in the envelope. I fished out a small photograph, the size perhaps of four postage stamps, the sort of thing a photographer might give you as a sample in the hope of persuading you to cough up for something more expansive. It was Tilly, with Wallace sitting on her knee. She was smiling, but the smile was slightly forced, as though she had been holding it for a little while. I think I only noticed because I knew her smile so well. Young Wallace, to be frank, looked a little cheesed off, but I could clearly see that he'd grown quite a bit since I'd seen him last. He was wearing a sailor suit with short trousers that showed off the plump little creases at the side of his knees, so he wasn't going short of a meal, that's for sure. As for me, well, I had plenty of food for thought. And shortly afterwards, I even had dessert, because then Billy Rouge was arrested for murder. Chapter 44. The Ostrich. Next morning, the little Vim community was humming with the news of Billy Rouge's arrest. He wasn't the most popular member of the company, and hadn't really been seen very much for months while he recovered from his accident. He'd been content to take the paychecks for the Plump and Runt movies, even though he was no longer actually appearing in them, and had showed no particular readiness to return to the day-to-day grind. When he did make an appearance, it was usually leaning heavily on a pair of walking sticks, and there was a strong suspicion that he might have been laying it on a bit thick, having pretty much recovered. In short, though, none of us really knew what he'd been up to lately, or had any idea what he might have gotten himself mixed up in. As for myself, I felt like my vitals were in the icy grip of some nameless fear. Maybe it was the knowledge of how very close I'd sailed to those rocks myself these past few months. Anyway, there was a limit to how much we could go over and over such barren ground, and so finally we began to get on with some work. Babe and Kate Price were working on a plump's domestic story that week, which was more or less runt-free, meaning that I was co-opted to assist Billy Ritchie on his first venture into Chaplin territory. Burstein had given the production a free hand with the budget, reckoning that if we could kick this thing off right, it would turn out to be a veritable gold mine.' It was just as well, because Ritchie, so he'd assured me a couple of days earlier, didn't want to ape Chaplin, he wanted to top him. I want to show him, and everyone else for that matter, who's the original and best, the little Scotsman insisted. So we need a stunt, a stunt that tops anything he's done, or anything Lonesome Luke has done, or Fatty Arbuckle, or any of them fellas. Righto, oh, I said. What do you want me to do? Which is how I found myself down Tallyrand Avenue shortly thereafter, attempting to procure an ostrich. "'Well, we have ostriches, a couple hundred of them,' "'a smart-aleck young chap in the office down at the ostrich farm said. "'Which particular one do you want?' "'What?' "'What was the ostrich's name, bud?' "'They have names?' "'No, I'm just ragging you. What is it you want? "'Breast steak? Or some eggs, maybe?' "'Well, I I want a whole one.' "'I see, and uh, do you want us to kill it for you, "'or are you planning to do that your good self?' "'What? Kill it? No, I want a live one.' "'Aha!' You know, they don't make very good pets, ostriches. They can get very ornery if you get on the wrong side of them. Which isn't to say you mightn't just meet one and hit it off, just that that would be unusual in my experience of ostriches, which is extensive. I want it for a film. You want to put one of my ostriches in the flickers? That's right, yes. I see, so you want one of my film star ostriches. You have film star ostriches? No, just ragging you again. Our ostriches are mostly stage birds. Fortunately, he tired of making a fool of me soon after that, and an ostrich was duly delivered to the farm where Billy Ritchie's film debut was to be shot. It stood in a pen that seemed to have been used for pigs, and the fences didn't really look high enough to keep the bird in. He could have just lifted one backward-bending knee and stepped a long grey leg over it. To begin with, though, the giant creature just stood there, eyeing us warily. The director was Pathé Lerman, an embittered former Keystone man who, like Billy, seemed to blame Chaplin for all the ills in his world and was thus perhaps somewhat over-motivated to do something really spectacular. We'd actually met briefly a few years ago when Stan and I visited Keystone. "'Hello again,' I said when he came over, but the fellow looked at me blankly, clearly didn't remember me. "'Ritchie came out of the farmhouse to inspect my purchase. "'He was dressed exactly like Chaplin's tramp in every detail.' so much for topping Charlie and not aping him, I thought. What's the plan then, Bill? I said. Hm, huh, he said, scratching his stubbly chin. Do you think I could ride him around? <laughs> Rather you than me, I said. Let's have a go, the little Scot said, and clambered up onto the railing. The ostrich backed away and spread its white-tipped black wings wide, making itself look big to face down what it saw as a threat. A hissing noise emitted from its sharp, triangular beak as Billy tried to entice it over. "'Come on, sweetheart,' he cooed. "'Come to Daddy!' The ostrich was not in the mood to be enticed. "'Get some food,' Richie said to me, out of the corner of his mouth. "'Food? What food? What do they eat?' "'I don't know. Did they no send any food for the creature?' "'Not that I'm aware of,' I said. "'Well, what do birds eat? Worms? Bread? "'I think there's bread in the farmhouse. Run in and get it. There's a good lad.' I returned a couple of minutes later with half a crusty loaf and Billy was still perched precariously on the fence of the pig pen with the ostrich showing no sign of wanting to make friends. I balanced the bread on the rail and stepped back to see if the bird would show any interest but it was far too spooked to care about bread. Come on, darling, Ritchie cooed again. Nice bread, eh? Yum, yum! He jumped down from the fence thinking that if he stepped away the bird might relax a little. Just then, however, a seagull swooped down from nowhere with a screech and flew off with the loaf, which was half as big as itself. "'Well, so much for that,' Richie said. "'Tell you what we'll go for. We'll let it out the pen.' "'Right,' I said, still not sure that the pen was actually holding the bird in at all. "'And get it to chase me around. Film that. See what we get, eh?' "'Well, it doesn't look like it wants to chase you,' I said. "'Ah, problems, problems. You're all problems today.' "'Ritchie complained impatiently. "'All right, lads, let's start the camera rolling. "'I'll open the gate, and Arthur, "'you prod it with a big stick until it decides to play ball, all right?' "'The crew all got into position, "'and I noticed a good deal of eye-rolling apprehension, "'but Richie was the one doing the stunt, "'so they assumed he knew what he was doing. "'Action!' Pathé Lerman shouted, and the cranking began. "'Ritchie threw open the gate of the pigpen "'and stood in front of the ostrich. "'Come on, then, you big lump!' he shouted, waving his arms up and down. Do something! Don't just stand there, you pop-eyed cloon! I'd availed myself of a stick, the longest one I could find, not wanting to be within range of that great neck and pointy beak. I poked it between the bars and jabbed the bird in its backside. It jumped up, flapping its wings in surprise, and then settled again. Can't catch me, you gangly great goon! Ritchie shouted, moving in closer to taunt the baffled creature as I jabbed it again, and then again, Suddenly, it lurched into life and launched itself at Billy Ritchie, wings flapping, great wrong-looking legs pumping. "Aha!" Ritchie cried and bolted towards the farmhouse. "Keep rolling!" he shouted as he barreled past the camera with the nine-foot monster hot on his heels. "I'll lead it a merry dance." Rinky jinked left, and the ostrich slipped, trying to change direction, landing in a heap on one side. "Aha!" Ritchie yelled and opened up a gap between them. The camera turned and cranked, capturing every move, and the ostrich clumsily regained its footing on its mighty claws, which I suddenly noticed for the first time. They looked nasty, sharp, strong, and the ostrich was looking angry and determined as it set off after its prey once again. "'Bill!' I shouted, but it was a silent movie, so I wasn't disturbing the shot. "'Get into the farmhouse!' Richie stopped in his tracks and frowned. He looked back at the ostrich lumbering towards him, and all of a sudden he saw what I saw. An unstoppable, nine-foot-tall kicking machine. "'Quick, man!' I hollered. Ritchie shot towards the building, and the ostrich moved to cut him off. The Scotsman was driven by fear now, and was no longer thinking about the shot, even though the camera was still whirring. "'Run!' I shouted, and the camera crew beside me all leapt to their feet, willing Ritchie to get to the door, and it seemed as though he was going to get there. His hand was reaching for the door handle, and the ostrich was still a couple of yards behind. It appeared to realise that the little man was going to get away, and suddenly it reared up with a flap of its great wings, obscuring Ritchie from our sight momentarily, and then brought its beak down, with all the power contained in that great long neck, down, down, smashing down onto the top of the comic's head. Ritchie fell on his face in the dirt, half stunned by the blow. He staggered up to his feet, shaking his head, and reached a hand up to feel where he'd been hit. He didn't seem to have the unscrambled wits left to dart for the door behind him. He just stood there. The ostrich turned away. Its cruel beak seemed to be smiling as it looked back at us, the film crew and me, gazing in horror. Then, lightning fast, it lashed out with one of its great long improbable legs, and caught Ritchie straight in the gut. The little Scot flew backwards, crashing into the building like a child's rag doll, and then slumped to the ground, broken. The mighty bird looked at us as if to say, See? That's what you get. And we froze. Then it lifted up on its toes and shot across the farmyard in four or five enormous strides out onto the dirt road and disappeared over the horizon. We rushed over to poor Billy, but it was plain to see that there was nothing to be done. He was gone.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?